Hi, you're listening to the Right About Now Poetry Podcast. My name is Davis Land, and this week we are featuring Lacey Roop. Lacey is from Austin, Texas. She has quite a few books out, the latest being And Then Came the Flood on Timber Mouse Press. This recording is from her feature at Right About Now Poetry in Houston, Texas. Thank you guys for braving the rain and coming out tonight and sticking around for this long. I know you got shit to do, you know, but you're here fucking, you know, enjoying the gospel with me. And thank all you guys that performed tonight. Like, y'all are all so awesome and so brave. It's so brave to be up here, you know? Even I get nervous. I was the awkward person standing over there in the corner for about an hour, you know? It's like, oh my god, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. Us kids didn't be entertained by TV. Us kids knew how to climb trees. Us kids like to bathe in sun spit. We bear scars that pride our scraped knees. Us kids didn't own no such thing as touch screen, where calluses on our fingertips got bark in our skin. We were the dogs, howled mouse, both drooling in awe of the moon. Us kids had parents who would pick us up by the scruff of our necks, put a bowl of food in front of us, and say, eat up now, need some meat on them bones. Us kids used pocket knives for toothpicks. We were hard-mudded kids, raised by River, know the difference between a cat mouth and a corn snake. Got a tongue, ain't nobody understand four states north of here. <laughs> we know what art it is to skin a deer, know how to shoot a bow and a gun, but ain't nobody forgot how to use their fist. Hell, my mama told me she could stitch up a gash with a pine needle. Moonshade, the best remedy to disinfect the cut. You see, us kids were born with a storm in our blood. Us kids know how to shell a sunflower seed with just our tongue. This is the childhood from which I come from, and no matter where I go, every time I close my eyes, when I open them, All I can see is home. So despite my appearance, I am from Mississippi. (laughs) Even despite my accent, from what people tell me. But uh, yeah, so I was born, bred, and raised in Mississippi in a town called Tupelo. And uh, yeah, I heard about anybody been to Mississippi? Oxford. Oh shit, look at that. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, so um, and not only am I from there, like I've met every single one of my great grandmothers, all four of them. The eldest one lived to be 103 years old. So like my roots go all the way back, generations upon generations. And so I have a, I have a, I, I'm always constantly wondering about this concept of home. Because it sounds so simple, but I think that it's, it's, it's complex. It's a complex issue. Like, where are you from? Or, like, where is home? Like, what does that mean to you? Is family home or your friend's home? Is like where you, where you pay rent? Is that home, you know? So uh, I don't know the answer, but I think it's, it's worthy to explore. And so this next poem is like kind of like my, my, my bittersweet poem to Mississippi. One, we broke glass with our knuckles to see who would cut the deepest. Your womb smelled like autumn, coin, ash. Mine like pine, corduroy, mud. Burned like whiskey in the back of a throat, flowed like a thick sap, the blood. Two, when the scars came, we named them after the states we got them in. Wrong turns come in the shape of Arkansas, Tennessee. Split lips welcome, West Virginia, Missouri. I got them for saying all the wrong things too perfectly. Some like to say I'm a smart ass. Fuck them. 
Connecticut. I didn't jump fast enough. New Mexico, I still get your railroad tracks in my fist. That broken heart contour happens somewhere in Texas. The canine tooth I carry in my back pocket is a reminder that you don't kiss on the mouth. But when I tried it, after a few pints too many, you threw a jab so hard through my jawbone, I woke up blacked out and lonely. I call that state Mississippi. Three. I quit drinking tea. Four, if I didn't think about you as often as I do, I would have forgotten you by now. Five, I know the answer to forgetting. You have to admit what it is you don't want to remember first. Once, in an effort to do this, I took a 34-hour shower. I burned the bed sheets, decapitated the flowers, mistook hot water in a bowl for soup. I didn't want to say I was starving. Slept naked on the roof. I wish I could say it was my roof. It wasn't. <laughs> I punched myself in the throat to get the hiccups out. Swallowed lightning bugs so you wouldn't pass me up again. This is why I glow and talk the way that I do. Six. There's an Italian word that encapsulates the feeling of not wanting to forget even though you know how to. It's called malinconia. An interior satisfaction and an incompleteness that one unconsciously never wants to completely resolve. Seven, I slit my tongue with a paring knife so I could pull your name from it, throw it in the swamp, leave it in the dirt and behind the muck. Thought it was a good idea at the time until I woke up with a mouthful of blood and heard that you had changed your name again. Eight, this body is my home. If I open the door for you, would you take off your shoes and be careful where you step next time? Nine, do you believe in a next time? Or would you agree with me that to believe in them is to partake in the grandest life for time? Does not stand still, people do. We got a tendency of passing each other by. I say this because I hear you live in a city below the sea. When the moon comes off the tide, I sometimes smell autumn coin ash this is how i know some don't heal when i trace the outline of states in the form of scars wondering about the glass we broke and if you ever missed the smell of my pine tin all you need to know is that the lightning bugs will not come out of me their home was my welcome i glow from time to time i drink tea now i stopped with the whiskey is it burn when i bleed I don't quite near as much when I think about Mississippi. find more about Lacey at LaceyRoop.com, where you can watch some of her videos, read some of her poems, and even pick up a copy of her latest book.
At five years old, I changed my name to Rocky because I thought I was much more masculine than Lacey. I traded all my Barbie dolls in for G.I. Joes and basketballs. When my mom tried to dress me in dresses, I told her that the best thing about them was that that made it easier for me to pee while standing up. For the entirety of third grade, I wasn't allowed to participate in recess because of a parent-teacher conference my mom and Miss Baker had over how to get Lacey to realize that she is, in fact, a girl. When Ms. Baker told me if I were going to continue to play basketball with the boys, I was going to have to let them win or not play at all because it was just too confusing for everyone how such a pretty little girl could be so strong. I sat on the sidewalk all by myself that year and watched my classmates play. I guess this is why I've been so comfortable with loneliness. This is what happens when you spend most of your life holding your own hand. Yet 19 years have passed since I was a third grader, but just the other day I was invited to read at an elementary school a story I wrote about a little lion cub who got in trouble and was made fun of because of who he loved. At the end of the class, I was curious what love meant to them, so I asked, and six-year-old Nika told me this. She said, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. Noel said, love is when you tell someone you like their shirt and they wear it every day. Bobby added, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas when you stop opening presents and listen. Listen, I think that if we want to make the world a more understanding place, we should stop indoctrinating hate and learn to listen to the wisdom that still comes from those who chew with their baby teeth. For not one of the kids in the class that day said love had anything to do with gender, but everything to do with the feeling you get when a person you like walks into a room. Ask Danny, age nine, who said love is as simple as a garden going bloom. It's the firework boom inside of you. It's why I had to move some 900 miles away from my birthplace before I ever felt home. And yet, there are still days I can't forget every time my Bible Belt town through the buckle at my back trying to beat the boy and me out, wanting to know if I bled pink or blue. In high school, I cut myself once to see if I could get the feelings I had out as if attraction is something you could hope. It was hard growing up in a town or being different scarlet letters you wrong. But what I know now is that you got to sing your unique or your awkward strong and never be ashamed of the love you may contain for someone. I was reminded of this while reading in that classroom full of kids who just sat there and listened with no care as to who or what I should be. They just hugged me and asked if I thought that one day that little lion cub will ever stop getting in trouble or made fun of who we love someday. With all the sincerity I had left in my breath, I told him, you know what? I don't know, but I sure hope so. I have my fingers crossed that the grown-ups will learn to see love like y'all do someday. God hears. I want to speak every language because I know he has to understand at least one. Would you give me arms strong enough for my father so I can stand up to him next time? 
Would you give me a mind that won't forget things worth remembering? Give me the things you know you'll never use because all things have purpose. I just want answers, he says. This boy is the accumulation of every spirit who refused to quit burning. He carries the sun and the shadow. He just turned seven. He tells me he's supposed to close his eyes when he sees something bad, but he tried it once, and he only had his eyes open long enough to see a blue bird share a worm with a black bird, which made him wonder why color mattered so much to people. I want to be the wind, he says. I want to be the feeling that gives others goosebumps. I want my fingerprint to be in the shape of a dragonfly. I, I want to be cobalt blue. His eyes are as innocent as the insides of angels. He wants to be everything he can imagine. And out of all the things I can think of, I just wish I could be more like him. He looks up to me as if the entire universe is my lover just because I can pronounce the names of dinosaurs and read the Encyclopedia Britannica. He thinks that I'm a hero, and it makes me sad because I know we all had thoughts like kids when we were younger, but it seems like with every candle we blow it on our birthday, something greater than flames disappears. You know everything, he tells me. Nah, I say. I, I only know what I've been taught. You know what you feel, and that's far more important. His head still arched up, looking at me, smiling, even though he doesn't really understand what it is I'm trying to tell him. But that's not the part that scares me. It's knowing that he will someday. It's knowing in the next 10 years he'll be taught that no human can be made into a mountain or that the sun and moon don't really chase him around. They just appear that way. It's knowing that one day his heart will be broken by someone who didn't love him as much as he loved them or that his perception of the world will change from thinking of it as a ginormous place to play with too many trees you won't get to climb and too many puddles of water you won't get to jump into because he didn't have the time to calculating how much money he could make while drilling for oil or walking around with an umbrella so he won't get his dress suit all wet and dirty. I stare at him. I stare at his entire body from the white roots of hair follicles to the bottoms of his LA gears that light up while he walks, trying to understand him. He's looking at me doing the same, but he isn't wondering who I'm going to be. He's just trying to figure out who I am now. I want to tell him to not grow up and to quit blowing out the candles on his birthdays, but I know that age is inevitable. It's our perception that changes. So instead, I ask him this. I say, hey, do you like to swim, kid? And with the tongue of a sage, the seven-year-old boy tells me this. He says, yeah, it's my favorite thing. We can play sharks and mermaids. I can be the shark, and you can be the mermaid. As he grabs my hand, it leads me to the water. It's within this moment I come to understand myself and this life and I watched the boy grow up to be something other than what he is. You see, he is a shark that lives somewhere in the mountains. And I am a mermaid. Too bad reality has a hard time accepting us for who we truly are. Thank you.
You may think that this is a fairy tale, but it's not. This is a true story, and it goes like this. The marble farm came the year the stars had turned their insides wool during that snow glow burn of evening. Moon mist fell into a hole, hence bloomed the marble people. They had marble eyes and marble hands, marble laughs and marble legs. On the other side of the mountain lived the brick people who thought them odd, thought them strange, so they kept them at a distance, fearful of the difference. Now, the marble people thought that the brick people didn't understand that just because someone was different didn't mean that you should be mean or treat them poorly. Now, why am I telling you all of this, you may ask? Well, so you can better understand what happened next. You see, Marley was a girl who grew up at the marble farm, but there was something unique about her. She was born with this peculiar thing that no one seemed to have, and they called it wonder. One day she woke up and decided she wanted to see for herself what life was like on the other side of the mountain. Her family was both sad and scared, but they understood that sometimes one has to see for themselves what life is like somewhere else. Marley ate a piece of marble bread before she packed everything up in her marble bag. When she got to the brick road, a brick person told her she needed to go back to where she belonged. But Marley stared confused by how the man didn't seem to understand that we all belong, no matter where we come from or where we go. Marley found out that the brick people buy and they build and they buy and they build and they buy and they build because they believe that having lots of things will make them powerful and wealthy. Perhaps this is true, but she noticed no one in the brick town took time to laugh or play. And if you never do those things, you got a hard time finding love or ever being happy. A little brick boy ran up to her and asked, why are you made so weird? Marley said, well, I suppose I could ask you the same thing. <laughs> you aren't that scary, he said. Why would I be? I don't know, that's what my family tells me. They say that your kind are poor, ugly, and lazy, that you don't build anything, you just stare at the stars and dream. That's not entirely true, boy, but even if it were, what would be so wrong with that? You are partially right, though. Being made of marble, we'd rather polish what we have. The boy didn't know what to say. Come with me, boy, Marley said, and do what? Anything you want. We can jump on the stars and climb the night. We can go to the place where wishes float. I can show you what it's like to laugh and play. No, that's not what I'm supposed to grow up to do. So he ran away. Marley went back to the marble farm, both sad and confused. She didn't understand why the brick people spent their entire lives working so much and being so afraid. She is an old, old woman now but she still thinks about that day she wonders about the boy and how many others out there who have forgotten what a joy this life still is when you take the time to laugh and love and play Thank you.
that was all for right about now this week again that was Lacey Roop featuring at right about now at Avoc Garden in Houston Texas right about now meets every Wednesday at Avant Garden you can just look for Juan Poetry on pretty much any platform and you'll find us Again, my name is Davis Land, and you can find me online at davisland.info, or you can find me on Twitter at Davis Internet. You're, of course, always encouraged to subscribe to the Right About Now Poetry Podcast on iTunes, leave a rating, a comment, all sorts of those things. They help us a lot. And, of course, if you just feel like sharing it with your friends, you can do that, too.